0: Happy Father's Day. Let's try that again. I had myself muted. If you remember back on Mother's Day, we talked about mentoring moms uh, from 2 Timothy, how that moms uh, can pass on the scripture and an understanding of salvation and then serving. Today I want to follow suit by talking about disciple-making dads. Our scripture text will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, begin reading in verse 9, down through verse 12. Now dads, we want to say thanks today. Think about that for a moment. It's often the pattern for preachers that we like to magnify mothers on Mother's Day... And diss the dads on Father's Day. That's not going to be what you hear today. As a matter of fact, ABCnews.com posted a story last year about this phenomenon in our world. And it says this, fathers sleep a lot and they snore loudly. When they're awake, they like to fish or golf and they are comically bad at both. They're complete couch potatoes, always watching television and hogging the remote control. Well, that's kind of the less favorable approach that you see on some of the Father's Day greeting cards, right? Well, it's striking it's a striking contrast to the poetic praise often expressed on Mother's Day. And I think many men are somewhat tired of the put-down cards, and there's some affirmation for change. Well, this morning I want to celebrate the commitment of fathering that I see in our church. We want to celebrate those dads who are making disciples. And I want to give you some affirmation for a change instead of put-downs. The National Center for Fathering has recently declared a father awakening. This was good news. They cite the evidence that fathers are rediscovering what it means to be a good, good father. It says that in the past 25 years, the number of dads present at their children's births has has risen up to 27%. And now, the, from 27% up from where it was, that's pretty good in our day. More than 75% of men say they would trade rapid career advancement for more time with their families. That's pretty good signs that there's some change going on. Yet, it is still true. And the U.S. Census Bureau has stated that we have become a fatherless nation. When I wrote my dissertation in 2002... I talked about fatherless America. And it's the engine that's driving most of the difficult situations going on in our world today. 33% of the 72 million children in America will go to bed tonight without their biological father in the home. Staggering. I sincerely hope that you will allow... For those of you who do go to bed at night without your, your biological father in your home, I pray that you will allow our Heavenly Father, that good good Father, right, to meet what is lacking in your life. May you experience what Psalm 80, Psalm 68 5 says our God is a father to the fatherless, and he is a defender of widows, is the God in his most and is our God in his holy dwelling. So the idea for setting aside a day like Father's Day, do you know that history? Where it came from? It goes back to 1909. We've been celebrating this for a long time, right? There was a woman whose name was Sonora Smart, Dodd. So Sonora Dodd, she listened to a Mother's Day sermon, but she was raised by her father. Her mother had died at an early age. And she wanted her father to know how special he was to her, having been raised without a mother in the home, but being raised by her father. Her father was a hero to her. So in 1924, President Calvin Coolidge proclaimed that the third, June, third, the third Sunday in June would be pronounced Father's Day or announced as Father's Day. So my aim this morning again is to follow suit with the sermon on mentoring moms to disciple-making dads. And I want to encourage you, dads, in the task of making disciples. I've learned something. It's a lot easier to become a father than it is to be one. Y'all figured that out? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul, remember, where did the writing come from? Well, it came from the book of Acts, right? We're preaching through Acts, and every letter that Paul ever wrote sprung out of his missionary endeavors chronicled for us in the book of Acts. That's why Acts is so important. And we're going to ramp that up when we come back in a couple of weeks and preach on Acts. We'll be moving in, finishing chapter 15, moving into 16. And you're going to see the second missionary journey in the third. And so Paul writes the church of Thessalonica, and he uses two metaphors. In the very first two chapters. Well, actually, he uses both of these metaphors in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 7, he talks about how he entered into them and treated them like a gentle mother would nurse her children. So he uses that motherhood metaphor to explain his actions among the people. And now, when you get down to verse 9, he's going to use the metaphor of a father. And I want to use that metaphor of how Paul treated the people in Thessalonica, the church in Thessalonica, as a father. But I want to bring that over to application for you dads and me and how that we ought to disciple our children. So Paul says, this is the way we behaved among you. And he's going to use this metaphor. Listen to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, beginning in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also how holy and righteous and blameless. Was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children. And that is going to give three participial phrases. To undergird what a father looks like. We exhorted each of you. And encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So, first, I want to say thank you for being a godly example. Thanks for being a good example. In verse 10, that's the first point that Paul actually makes to the Thessalonican believers. They were holy, that means they were set apart for ministry, they were righteous. That means their character and their behavior among the people was upright. And they were blameless, which literally is translated, not able to find fault. No one could find anything that would stick should they try to put something against these missionaries. So it is with the example that fathers are to set before their children. You are to be a good, godly example. Paul reminds them, set apart for ministry you know, you dads if you're saved today well even if you're not saved it's still a responsibility but if you know the Lord in particular you're set apart uh, because you belong to the Lord you have a distinctiveness about you because you are a believer thus your character and your behavior uh, should be that that your child doesn't look at you and find fault in your life and in your character Paul makes that admonition many of you have of course heard of Stonewall Jackson. His his, uh, second in command was a lieutenant named General Richard Hewell. And he was an agnostic. He didn't know the Lord. But he watched Stonewall Jackson, who was a professing believer. And Stonewall Jackson lived the life in front of him. General Hewell watched Stonewall Jackson time and time again, praising God and praying without ceasing. And after one certain victory... Hewell walked past General Jackson's tent and saw him on his knees thanking God for the victory, General Hewell responded with these words, If that is religion, then I must have it. Correct? I mean, it's very easy for us to talk a good game, uh, to go to church and have all the lingo and learn all the, the curriculum and the terminology and the nuances of the faith, but it's another thing to actually live it out in life. That's exactly what was seen In General Jackson's life. So disciple making dads know. That they preach and teach through words. And their walk. As someone once said. One way to correct your children. Is to correct the example that you're setting for them. Kind of quiet in here. Right? Your children will want what you have. If they see you living out what you have. Right? See you living out your faith. I saw this particular article the other day called When You Thought I Wasn't Looking. It's a dad writing this, or a child writing this about his father. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my first painting on the refrigerator, and I wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you say a prayer, and I believe there is a God that I could always talk to. When you thought I wasn't looking, I felt you kiss me goodnight, and I felt loved. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears come from your eyes, and I learned that sometimes things hurt, but it's okay for a man to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw that you cared and wanted to be everything that I could be. I wanted to be everything I could be. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked and wanted to say thanks for all the things I saw when you thought I wasn't looking. So today I want to say, Dad, thanks, thanks for being a good, godly example to your children. That's a little bit of affirmation, right? Of encouragement to dads. Next, thank you for caring for your children. In verse 11, it says, Paul says, For you know how like a father with his children. So Paul is beginning to describe the care of which they had as they came in to lead these believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his children. Now that phrase is emphatic, meaning... That they had a personal rapport with each one of those believers, which adds in to the necessity and the need for all of us to get to know one another in this church body. You have a responsibility to do that, correct? But here is Paul saying that we took the time personally, and it's emphatic. We know you know how we treated you, so dads, it's important for us to get close enough with our children, to show this adequate care that they need. They need the personal counsel. You know, each child has a different personality. Y'all figured that out? I mean, even when you have twins, like some of our folks do, Slade, right? Their personalities can be so different. We need to look for ways to spend time with them. Figure out what each likes to do. I will always treasure the time with my dad. You know, he was a fisherman. So early on, uh, I went to the lake and I was fishing growing up. Uh, Him going to ball games and just uh, the simple thing of learning how to control an axe and to split wood. Any of you kids split wood? Raise your hand. I didn't think you did. You have no idea what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Michael? Splits wood, right? Good, Good job, right? But just how to swing the axe, where to hit the wood. I I remember those days and I cherish that. And I know something. And it's true. Children are hard work. But it's worth it. They're extremely hard work. One person said the trouble with children is that when they're not being a lump in your throat, they're a pain in your neck. (laughs) Nobody said amen? (laughs) Yeah. Charles Francis Adams in the 19th century, he was a political figure and diplomat, and he kept a diary. And one day he jotted this down. Went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary, which is still in existence to this day. And on that same day, Brooke Adams made this entry. Went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. The father thought he was wasting his time while fishing with his son, but the son saw it as an investment investment. In time, the only way to tell the difference between wasting time and making an investment is to know one's ultimate purpose in life and judge it accordingly. Correct? So, thank you for your example and for your care. Thirdly, thank you for encouraging your children. Uh, again, this breaks down into three participial phrases, and this is the first one. <clears throat> Part of the father's responsibility is encouraging, comforting, and urging or charging. If you note the three words used in the ESV, a little different. We exhorted, encouraged, and charged. Those are three things that dads must think about. Not only being in good example, which is important, not only caring for your children, getting to know them, figure out their personality, spending time with them, but this encouragement aspect. It means to come alongside and give instruction. And actually, it doesn't stop there. It actually means when you give this encouragement and you give this insight, you're trying to move someone into a specific line of conduct. Is that not what we always do as fathers? That's, our, that's what we are thinking about, thinking ahead. How can I encourage my son, my daughters to move toward a specific focus and, and a plan in life and uh, actions and everything centered around really the lordship of Jesus Christ, but we all need someone to encourage us, to come close, to cheer us on. The NLT says, pleaded with you. Paul says, I pleaded with you just like a father pleads with his children. To keep that focus, to come alongside of them and encourage them in the right way. This word is similar to the word used to describe what the Holy Spirit does in our life. It is used to In the word is called paraclete. And it means to come alongside and encourage. Jesus said. I'm going away. But I will not leave you orphanless. I'm going to send one of the same kind like me. To walk alongside of you. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. Well dads are encouraged here to have that desire. Willingness. To say to our kids. You can do it. Move in the right direction. I know you can. It's time to get back in the game. Don't. You know, Shift into neutral. Make absolutely sure you're engaged and you're thinking properly about what the call of God is upon your life. You're not in this spot by accident. You're in this spot because of divine sovereignty. Use this situation to become what God would have you to be. Now, along those lines, I want to I say that, yes, fathers, you have an incredible responsibility in encouraging your daughters if you're a father. Elena... My daughter was a daddy's girl, right, mama? And if it was going to get done, dad had to talk to her. That was just the way it was, all right? So I understand that, how important fathers are with their daughters. But you do understand that the sons in this auditorium will become fathers. The girls in this auditorium won't become fathers, okay? Of course, in our world, it's kind of confusing, isn't it? But (laughs) the fact is... If you're a father today, you were once a son. So I want to say to you, fathering sons is a serious job. And in light of all the cultural settings, or the cultural setting that we are in, and the, but at the same time, the biblical mandates that we have, let me offer five things that every son needs to hear from their father. If you've never written anything down, now's the time to write it down. And in the outline, it goes under encouragement. Okay? We've got care... We've got example and care and encouragement. But let me give you a few things. Here's what all kids, all boys especially, need to hear from their fathers. You are loved. Every boy needs to hear and know that his father loves them. Correct? Correct. Are y'all getting this? I will start over. And hey, when they're young, it's so much easier, isn't it, dads? It's very easy to say, we love you or I love you. But as they get older, you have a rougher exterior, dads. And the son is also getting a rougher exterior. And it grows a little bit awkward, right, to do that, to say, I love you. Yet, we must plan to do it still. Because behind the sometimes rough exterior is a young boy in his heart who needs to know the experience that his dad has said, I love you. Oh, all right, number two. Ready? I'm proud of you. There are millions of men in this world that are still living lives in search of a father's approval. I didn't do that. Uh, My dad encouraged and said, proud of you, you did good. I mean, I could fall on my face and my nose bent like this with a permanent upturn from failing. But I always knew that my dad was proud of me. So... You know, but a lot of people live like this. Am I good enough? Did I make it? Is dad proud? We need to be hard on our sons in many, many ways. But we should never withhold our approval. There's nothing our sons have to do to earn our favor. When you've been loved unconditionally by Christ, then you should reciprocate that love toward your children. Because I'm telling you, there was not one thing in you that caused God to love you. Not one thing. It was unconditional love. Not conditioned on anything you could offer Him when He loved you. There's nothing our sons have to do to earn our favor. At times, they're going to disappoint us greatly. And they should know and feel it deep down when they disappoint us. Yet in our call to motivate them to greatness, we must not forget... That the very important ingredient that fuels it all is confidence in our God. Confidence in His promises. Number three, you're not a slacker, but a soldier. Boy, does this ever need to be told to to our boys. You are not a slacker. You are a soldier. Today, the culture presents a confusing paradigm or picture of manhood. I mean, folks, what is a man supposed to be anyway? If you look at the media... And the culture? How in the world can anybody grow up in our culture and truly understand what a man's supposed to be? Well, you're not going to if you don't read the Bible. We're not going to know what a man's supposed to be unless we're discipled by men who are actually men and don't apologize for it. Pop culture tells him he's sort of unnecessary, and at best, he can go through life idly. And he can just spend his adolescent years satisfying sexual urges and simulating war with a joystick. Y'all know what that is? Video games. You know what it is. Don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate, right? And lacking any kind of noble ambition. That's pretty much the picture we have from from our culture about what a man's supposed to be. We should encourage our boys to be masculine. And make no bones about it. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a deer hunter like the preacher. It doesn't mean you have to drive a four-wheel drive. It doesn't mean you have to be able to survive in the survivalist movie on TV. You can drive a minivan and not wear camo and still be masculine. Now, I have problems with that, but it's possible, okay? You can actually hate camo and and be masculine at the same time, okay? But the biblical vision of a man is one of nobility and strength and courage, sacrifice. A real man fights for what he loves and what he knows to be true. A real man cherishes the woman that God gives him and he never exploits her. A real man pursues the calling that God has stamped on his soul. One that is discovered through true intimacy with our good, good Father. One that will identify your gifts and your talents. And the one that God will use to meet the greatest need of our world. And that's to hear that Jesus Christ rules and reigns. Number four, hard work is a gift, not a curse. Idleness and laziness and indecision are the devil's best tools for ruining young men's lives. Mark her down. Our sons need to see work. Our sons need to see us work hard. And need to see dads work hard. Work is harder because of the fall. But I want to remind you that work is not a curse given to us because of the fall. Adam worked the garden before he ever fell into sin. Work is a gift from God. Getting our hands dirty. Staining our clothes. Struggling. Sweating. These are all good things, not bad things. Let's show our sons that work brings joy. Work honors God. You know, it may be done with, a, with fingers on a guitar. It may be done by swinging an axe head like I did. It may be by maneuvering a forklift. It may be putting somebody to sleep for surgery. Right, Andy? It may be a pharmacist. It, it doesn't matter what that is. It, you may be working your job in an air-conditioned office. You may be working your job in a muddy swamp. You may be working your job underneath cars. But make no mistake about it, work matters. And what we do with our hands done well is a testament to the creator God we belong to. And all God's people said? "All right, can you hand one more? And then I'm going to move to point four in the sermon and we're going to land the plane, okay? You are gifted, but you are not God. Our sons need to hear this. They need to be reminded that their sense of confidence and approval and dignity all comes from God. They've been gifted by God, but they are, are in fact, not God. And in our world today, when you see teenagers on TV and all the different things coming out by song and everything else, you you would think that worldly people think they're God. Kind of sad, isn't it? Real masculinity doesn't strut. It bows low before God. Real masculinity picks up a towel and washes feet. His real strength is not found in his exploits or what people think about him. His real strength comes from God. Our boys need to know when their lives really began. It's not even when they walked an aisle or when they were 18 or when they got married or when they got their first employment contract. Their lives began 2,000 years ago on the foot of a Roman cross where justice and forgiveness met in the bloody sacrifice of their Savior. Young people, living your lives without Jesus is like playing checkers on the deck of the Titanic. It's beautiful while it lasts, but it ultimately ends in sorrow. So the greatest thing a dad can do is point you to Jesus. Keep pointing you to Jesus. That's the best we know how to do. Right, Keep pointing you to Jesus. All right. Number four. Y'all ready? That was all free. A side note. All right. Number four. Thank you for comforting your children. Encouraging means give instruction. This next word, participial phrase, means more of coming alongside to give sympathy and concern. It's used in John eleven 19. Y'all know the story? Mary and Martha are comforted in the loss of their brother. So, I think we're reminded, uh, even in First Thessalonians, that we need to encourage the faint-hearted. Another translation says, cheer those up who are discouraged. In other words, when your kids are doing okay, they pretty much need encouragement and instruction, right? But when they're struggling, they need comfort. They need both of those. When their lives are falling apart, they need comfort. In both instances, kids need fathers who come by them, alongside them, close, and encourage and comfort. Number five, thank you for charging or urging your children to live lives in a way that consider, God considers worthy. Isn't that not the most important thing? To live a life that God considers worthy? The word urging means to beg earnestly. It's kind of got the appeal of anguish behind it. Our kids need dads who will give testimony of what is right, who will challenge them to go to the next level, to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and into His glory. Man, that changes things. It gives you a different perspective when you're living life considering that God has saved you and called you, and you want to live a life worthy of the Lord. So to live implies continuity of conduct. In other words, what you believe in your mind and heart comes out in your actions. There's just worthiness of this. So the purpose of fatherly encouragement and comfort and exhortation is to produce in our kids lives worthy of God. Does that make sense? All these participial phrases fuel into that. Produce lives worthy of God. So what does it mean to live worthy of God? It means that the Lord God is your focal point. He's the one that determines what is appropriate and what is not. It means to live a life in a a manner consistent with the commands and the character of God. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commands. This was a very behavior Paul sought to model among those young believers in Thessalonica. Comforting, caring, urging them to live lives worthy of God. Pleading with them to live those lives. Faithful fathers provide correction in the spirit of comfort and encouragement. And urging and appeal to our boys and to our girls to live a life worthy of the Lord. So the goal is to have each child live worthy of God. Hey, in layman terms, I would say just be sold out to Jesus. Right? Be sold out for the Lord. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be a fence straddler. You know, you think in Revelation, when you've got a church or a person who's lukewarm, you say, well, that's pretty good, at least they're not cold. Well, Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, you make me vomit. I'd rather you be cold or hot. No fence straddling. I mean, for some of us, that thing is about to cut you in two. It really is, because we straddle the fence. And the Lord says He wants us to be hot for Him. Now, I started off by saying I wanted to give you some affirmation for change. That can be taken two ways. Some of you dads and granddads may be encouraged right now because you haven't received a whole lot of affirmation. Praise God for it. I hope you have been affirmed and encouraged. But others may be, you may feel more exhorted and you may feel like, you know what? I need to make some changes in order to set that example and to care for my children and to comfort and encourage and urge them and charge them to be all that God would have them to be. And live in such a way that their lives are worthy of the Lord that they belong to. But remember what it says in Romans 2.5. It says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. we got a loving father, don't we? And when you think about how much he loved us. That he sent the second person of the Godhead. The son of God down to this earth. To purchase us by paying a price. When we consider all of that, the kindness of God, his holy, his kiss toward us, kessid, hesed, the loving kindness of God reaching out to us. When we consider those things, it leads us into repentance. Before you leave this service, I want you to remember three things. Are you ready? There are no perfect fathers except the Heavenly Father. So if you've stumbled and fallen and failed, I got news for you: there are no perfect fathers. Second. We can all be better dads if we'll take time to work at it. It starts with me, and I'm sure you'd raise your hands too, each one of you. And number three, well, along those same lines of working it, becoming better better dads, I want to remind you that God restores relational ruptures. God restores relational ruptures. And I know that some of you could be in this auditorium today, and you're a father, and you're on the outs with your son. Or you're on the outs with your daughter. I want you to know that things impossible through man are possible through God. God can make the most, take the most difficult situation. He doesn't excuse failure, but He does use it. It's all the way through the Bible, right? As a matter of fact, there's a lot of lessons in the Bible about father-son relationships. And you could say today, well, at least I'm not David, and I'm not running from Absalom, my son. That's trying to kill me. Right? There's a lot of stories in the Bible about that relationship. But I want you to know that God can heal that relational rupture. And we need to be quick to forgive. And number three, we, need, we, we never father alone. Isn't that great? That's good affirmation for me to have hope to change. Because my Heavenly Father knows the needs we have, cares for us, and we never, ever, ever father alone. Praise God. That's good affirmation, isn't it? We never father alone. And I'm telling you now, I need all the help God can give me. And so do you. All right, let's pray. Lord, you are a good, good father. That's who you are. And we are loved by you. And we thank you so much for it. Your word says that you so loved the world that you gave your only one-of-a-kind, unique son. That whoever believes in you will not perish, but will have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that kind of love, Father. We praise you for it. We know that we're in a world that struggles. Our culture is, is a tide of difficulty. Sometimes, uh, most of the time, throwing me in under the bus. And most of your sitcoms and every other TV show shows a dad who is inept and inadequate and, and uh, just kind of drifting along. Lord, that's not what we want to be. Father, help us to exude true real masculinity. That's bible-based. And Lord, not only to have that kind of masculinity, but it's okay to be proud of it. God help us in our church to to raise up dads uh, who love you, who love family. And and who are willing uh, to take a stand for you. And Lord, most importantly, help all of us as dads to continue to point our kids to Jesus. Uh, Lord, you're the only answer. Uh, Lord, help us. And Father, help our kids to be compliant in that area. And Lord, would you put before them uh, an understanding that to live a life worthy of you is the most important thing they can do. Lord, their aim should be always to do that which pleases their Lord. It may not be popular, it may be difficult, but it'll be worth it when they stand before you. God help us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.